great to see everyone. It's wonderful to have Ron and Vicki home. Yeah. I think Karen is home too, but in Fairbanks yet, right? Okay. I've been thinking a lot about um, Fabian's word, was it last Wednesday? About uh, asking for help. Remember that? <clears throat> and uh, yes. Um, just the need to make our, our to be bold in our asking and to be specific in our asking. And uh, I had a great experience last week after that. I th thought a lot about it. And one evening, Nate and I were praying, and I felt like I should ask for something really specific. And I have to admit, um, I kind of was like, mm -hmm. I don't know if I should even say that because what if not, you know? But, I, went at, but I, I was inspired by that word, and I went ahead and asked anyway. And um, <clears throat> I prayed it. And the next morning, that scripture was in my head like this, as soon as I became aware. Uh, from Esther, when she went before the king, and he said, What wilt thou? What is thy request? It shall be given thee. And <clears throat> um, last year, our high schoolers listened to that, the um, Esther musical quite a bit so I have all those songs in my head love it and that the song for that particular part of the musical they repeat that line it shall be given thee it shall be given thee over and over and it's <clears throat> very powerful and um, it's a great way to approach the Lord when you when you're coming to worship tonight those those places where we're, we're looking for uh, divine intervention to approach with that kind of faith, that childlike faith, knowing that the heart of the Lord is, what wilt thou? What is thy request? And we can approach with, I know, I know you're there, Lord. I know you're hearing, and it shall be given. It's, he says it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So let's gather. tonight by asking a question. Anybody out here a convict? Hopefully we'll all raise our hand by the time we're done this evening. I think it's the goal of the Holy Spirit to convict us. And when you think of the word conviction, in the sense that I first used it, I asked you if you were a convict. I was once, just for the record. Convicted of driving without a license in the state of Ohio. And I was, in fact, without a license. Um, And that's one way to be convicted. But every one of us, as David reminded us just last Saturday, um, every one of us is going to stand before the throne and give an account. And who are we standing before in that case? David offered a pretty convincing case that it was Jesus himself that we would be standing before, giving an account. I don't know, really, I don't suspect anybody really knows, and you could quibble over the details of and many people do. 
I don't even think it's a bad discussion. I mean, as long as it doesn't get out of the spirit and produce division, which that is a big if. Because there are spirits out there that are quite willing to convince us that stuff like that is worth dividing over. Like, is it going to be Jesus or is it Father God? Or, And I think it does matter in this way. There is one God, one Father, whose Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross and was resurrected, celebrated just this last weekend. And who was ascended into heaven. And by virtue of that ascension, the Holy Spirit came upon the church. And you know, I was raised in a Lutheran church, and we said it just slightly differently. I almost said the Apostles' Creed there for you. <laughs> um, and we said it every Sunday. But you know, one of the things that led me to where I am now here and to the people that I was associated with in the early days in the walk was this thing called conviction. In the Lutheran church that I was raised in, there were three different ones. There were godly men and women, but there were also a lot of other people there that you couldn't have convicted them of being in Christ in a very lenient court. Really. And the question I'd have to ask tonight, because I've been, felt like I've been being asked this question personally, that's why I'm asking it here, honestly, is if you were brought before a court, would you be convicted? Of being Christian? In a lot of places, people actually are brought before courts, accused and convicted. Various dramatic results. But um, we don't live in that environment, I'm thankful, at least not currently. But the issue still remains, are you convictable? Are you convicted? You know, the scripture uses the word persuasion. Conviction actually isn't in the Bible, I found out. At least not the King James Bible. <laughs> Maybe in another Bible, but it's not in the King James one. Um, and so you can start in, I think it's Acts 26, but let me get my notes out here so I know what I'm talking about. Yes, it is Acts 26. There's an interesting story. Somebody referenced this recently, I think, but I can't remember who, so forgive me if I can't credit you. my Bible at the top of verse 12 it says Paul preaches to King Agrippa which is an interesting way to put it uh, he was actually there to defend himself Paul was he had appealed to Rome and King Agrippa was before Rome and Paul starts his so the first 12 verses there, before you get to verse 12, uh, Paul is defending himself before Agrippa. And then in the middle of that, he kind of switches gears. And he says in verse 12, and I like this, 
Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority, he's standing before the judge. <laughs> but he's saying, hey, you know, I went with authority and commission from the chief priests. And at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining around about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me saying in the Hebrew tongue, put your own name here because this really is all of us. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Ted, Ted. No, serious, put your name there. Why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Paul was convicted right then. Well, the conviction that carried the weight of the rest of his life on earth. He went from persecuting Christians to strengthening them in the way. And now he's working on King Agrippa. And he tells them the whole story. And in verse 19 he says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained the help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other than other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that he should be the first, not the last, that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But Paul said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. He was persuaded. Paul was. That none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King of Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost, you persuaded me. It's the almost persuasion that really does us in. Because the persuasion we need is the persuasion that Paul professed. He said, I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. And so he could ask King Agrippa freely, as if Agrippa was the one that was on trial. <laughs> Do you believe these things? And there are many days, I think, I know in my life there have been days when it's a question. I know what I believe. These things haven't been done in a corner. This place has been here for 30 some years, 40 some years really. I've been here for 30 some years. And all kinds of stuff have happened in broad daylight right in front of my eyes here. And some of it very ungodly.
and a lot of it very godly. But a fountain can't bring forth both bitter and sweet. That's in James, if you want to know what that is. And I'm afraid it is still true today that there beeth ungodly things that happen. And we are to be convicted, not condemned. And there is a vast difference. The conviction is the persuasion that the grace of God is sufficient, that his intent toward us is good, that his grace is in fact sufficient. It's sufficient today, it's sufficient tomorrow, it's sufficient the next day, and am I persuaded about that? Right now I am. God help me tomorrow. And that's the ongoing battle that we are in, day in, day out. The enemy is attempting to wear us down, attempting to break that persuasion, attempting to say, I'm almost persuaded. Uh, the ark is wobbling a little bit. Maybe I'll try and prop it up. And that man paid the price of his life. And I don't know. I'm not. I don't. I don't. I don't have the gavel. Nobody in this room's got the gavel. But there is a God in heaven, and He does have a gavel. Our times are in his hand, and when he slams the gavel down, it's over. For better or for worse. And I don't think that's just talking about being dead. Physically dead. And there is a need for us to allow the conviction to do its convicting work. In the moment. When the Holy Spirit frequently kind of comes up and like that. I'll never forget the story of the trust plan. That's surprise. Was that you? Somebody. Uh, the fan was left on in there and that produces a uh, a problem with the alarm system. I, I don't remember the story all the way, so maybe I'll skip it. But the, but the point is that there was a nudge, and somebody went back and turned the fan off. Just simple. And you know, the simple things like that are hard to deal with when you're in the heat of a discussion with somebody and you're not agreeing with them. <laughs> Or perhaps you really want to do something and you can see a way to get there, but it might be bending the rules a bit. I mean, there is an order in this place. The order didn't really change. What has changed is the way we talk about it with each other, the way we would perhaps administer church discipline over an infraction of the order. Those things have changed. And no, I'm not talking about pants, please. There's much more significant things. The significant thing is that there is, in fact, a difference between boys and girls. And you're born that way. The significant thing is that it is, in fact, wrong to take something without asking permission when it's not yours. The significant thing is that there's a whole refrigerator of food over there, but it's not all up for grabs anytime you want it. Not really. 
Is the kitchen generous? To a fault, probably. And it is our food. It is, it is our home. Living at the school is, of course, an interesting place to live because the bottom two floors of my home aren't a home. <laughs> and when you go into somebody else's house, of course, you feel like you're at home. But it would be good to recognize that somebody in that house cleans the floor after you leave. You leave a dirty water glass behind, somebody is in fact gonna wash it. And it's stuff like that that is an everyday occurrence around here that gives us opportunity to be nudged by the Holy Spirit and to manifest to one another the kind of conviction that's real. Because we do want to be considerate of one another. Therefore, we will ask permission. And we do want to be kind to one another and soft in the way we approach each other. little true confession here. Nothing is harder for me than when I feel like I've done everything I should do to teach a, per, a particular point and I discover it is in fact not learned. <coughs> you, students, please pray for me then. I don't want to be hard. <laughs> but I know I sound hard sometimes. And probably am hard right then. Okay, let's go to... Uh, I think it is. Yeah, my Bible will come back here. Yes, it is Romans 4. Uh, just a few pages over. This is the same guy, and he's no longer in front of Agrippa. He's in Rome. Having appealed to Caesar, he went to Caesar. Um... And then he's writing to the church in Rome. And let's see, where should we start here? He's talking about Abraham. And we've read this before, but I just want to read it again. I guess we should just start in 21 right where it is. He says, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him, Abraham, for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead being fully persuaded. Now, we've had numerous, Gabe's done it recently, and Fabian, and I could do it again. The examples of Abraham not being, giving evidence of full, being fully persuaded. In fact, if he was in court, perhaps it could have been brought as, as evidence that he wasn't really believing God. In fact, I would wager that if we were brought before a human court, there isn't anybody in this room who would be fully convicted. In a court of law in this country, you have to be proven beyond a doubt. And I suspect if a private eye went around around here and dug into what we've been into and when we were into it and recited that evidence before a jury, the jury would not be fully persuaded that we were Christians. And if that's not true, then thank the Lord. 
I know it's true of me. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come here in the right way to bring conviction. Because those things ought not to be. When Daniel went to his room to pray, he didn't need to go again. I mean, he did go again, but the princess already had the evidence. They collected it before they ever went to Darius and asked him to sign the law, right? <laughs> they already had the goods. It was, it was done. I'm not even really sure why they waited for one more time. All they really needed to wait for was a signature. Because it was done. It was ahead of time. But they knew he would do it again. And so they could take a picture. Hey, you signed this into law and he did it anyway. And uh, this thing of being fully persuaded. Well, it says here in verse 24. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him. There's the if. If we believe on him, that's all there is to the persuasion. Do you believe it? When some evidence crops up, where do you retreat to? Condemnation, hopelessness, defeat, or belief? His grace really is sufficient. He died on the cross for me. His blood is sufficient. Romans is loaded with this thing on persuasion. Romans 8. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, and a couple more verses of things that can't separate him. No power. No power. No principality. Listen. Music isn't innocent. There are principalities behind the music of this world. Unfortunately, even in the Christian realm, I like some of Michael W. Smith's songs, but I hate watching him perform. <laughs> because that's exactly what it is, a performance. Is the song evil? May even have had an anointing. That's not the issue. The issue is that there are principalities behind stuff. And I'm not trying to ring down the gavel on Mr. Smith. I'm really not. Don't take it that way. But don't take it lightly. There is a difference between the praise that is offered in genuine adoration of the Lord Jesus Christ and a performance. One of the things that blessed me the most last year, at the end of the year, when we had our Daniel production, was the real anointing that was there. Thank you. But it requires conviction. And conviction must be maintained.
that happen. Let's <laughs> not ahead on very well. Again. Um, anyway, conviction must be maintained. And it must be maintained against principalities, against powers, against things present, against things to come. And it's not in human natural capacity to do that. <laughs> and that only comes from a consistently maintained connection to the Lord himself. Day in, day out. You get up in the morning. Say hello to the Lord. I say it that way because, you know, when I was in high school, I had this vision of people being on their knees with their hands folded and their heads bowed on their bed. And Most of the time I sit in a chair with a cup of coffee. I, the form isn't the thing. I mean, it can become a controversy over whether you, when you cross yourself, if you do it like this, or if you start over here and go like that. Trust me, I've heard debates on the subject. <laughs> or should you cross yourself at all? Is that just a pagan ritual? Um, The cross of Jesus Christ actually is of great effect, regardless of whether you do this or not. Is it wrong to do that? Um, I think so. It would be wrong to think that that was magic. But the power of the cross is a real thing, and it is the thing by which we can wage this war successfully. It's just a matter of getting in touch with Jesus in the morning. Thank Lord, I'm, I'm persuaded. I'm, I'm persuaded and I want to stay persuaded all day long. <laughs> Please, Lord, help me stay persuaded. I know there's going to be a war on persuasion today. My phone keeps going to sleep. Should turn that off. Okay, that was Romans 8, Romans 14. It's probably, yeah, no, one more, I think. But Romans 14 is the next one. art thou? Verse 4. Well, actually, let's start in verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eat er, eats herbs. So I suppose one might be a vegetarian and one might be uh, a keto diet guy. I don't know. Anyway. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Your mind needs convincing. All the time it needs convincing. It gets the contrary evidence. Right? Your eyes see things, your ears hear things. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. 
And beware of ringing down the gavel on somebody else. It's one thing to have discernment and in a spirit of kindness seek to restore. It's quite another thing to say you're no good and I'm all done with you. The latter is not an option in this house. I don't care what has happened. The latter is not an option. We cannot say to another, you're no good, we're all done with you. Or even imply it. We can reprove a brother in kindness, in gentleness, it says. Pray for me. I, I need help with that part, kindness and gentleness. 14, 14. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Jesus persuaded him of that. And what did that mean? Well, they were, yeah, Jewish brethren. Jewish apostles, like Peter. Who for a long time fought for circumcision. Paul says, you don't need to be circumcised. What are you persuaded about? And how does it differ from what somebody else thinks? And who, whose persuasion matters? Well, it says here, I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus. Now, this is quite a thing for Paul to say, because if you read in Galatians, he wasn't terribly persuaded that a, a circumcision, for instance, was going to be okay. That there is nothing in, unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So it says in verse 13, Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So that's the thing we really want to avoid. And we want to let the persuasion of the Lord Jesus work in our hearts. Where things seem to matter to us and we can't reconcile it. But this was right. This is the way we should be doing things. Perhaps it is. If the Lord Jesus has said that, then go ahead and live your life that way. I'm not stopping you, and nobody else is stopping you either. Nobody else really can stop you. But, okay, on to the last one. This is the best one. Romans 15. Well, at least I thought it was the best one. Uh, verse 14. Because this is really the way I think about it. Us. All of us. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Yeah. What of you? That you also are full of goodness. Yeah. You, 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 you. 
all the way around the room, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. Don't I wish when I was in high school taking tests. <laughs> Able also to admonish, admonish one another. And there's that thing, correction, admonish. It's a good word. It's a hard word. Hard to do, I mean. It's soft. It doesn't push or insist. So, what are you persuaded of today? I am persuaded that neither height nor depth nor power nor principality I am persuaded that the work that Jesus began in this group of people is going to bring forth sons, plural. Some of whom don't even live here anymore. Some of whom were barely here for a year or six months and we had our little bit in helping them grow. As a school teacher, I've seen quite a few of those. <laughs> and most of them I lose touch with. I don't know what happened with them all the while. And then every once in a while, you get a shining light that comes back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back, and so you know they're still there. <laughs> but and people leave here and go out for a whole variety of reasons, and there's judgments made every time somebody leaves. Be careful. The Spirit of God leads whithersoever he wills. That's what it says. And so the... Um, the outcome isn't for us to evaluate. What is for us to evaluate is whether we are, in fact, convicted and perhaps convictable. I will ask it again. How many of us are convicts? I, I want to be convictable. Not because I want to be a martyr. God will hopefully spare us that day. But it ought to be a real thing. Amen? Okay. I was just getting up here to confirm what Ted said. Um, two things. In uh, worship, I it was just impressed on, w with the songs that it was impressed on me. With the songs that we are singing, the, the, uh, the depth in the words. Um, and I know he mentioned music, and oftentimes with music, it's not all bad, it's good. They oftentimes have very moving tunes. Sometimes the words don't have the same kind of depth of content. And, um, and I was just impressed on it, by that. And I was thinking, man, I would love to participate more in, in creating, you know, that, that content as well. And, it was, and what was impressed upon me, I guess you could say convicted. And that's what I wanted to confirm on, Ted, was... Um, the things that keep us from participating in that outpouring of the, the Spirit are just the stuff that we do on a daily basis that, that are distractions from connecting with the Lord. Static, if you will, white noise. I know there's a lot in my life. It's not like a lot of it is 
necessarily inherently evil, but I know that there's a lot of noise that goes on in my life and in my head and in my actions that aren't, uh, that isn't allowing my soul and my spirit to be completely connected and purely connected with the, with the Lord. And the thing about conviction is it can seem heavy, maybe. Certainly in my, in my very young, um, naive uh, view of conviction, I always thought of giving my life over to the Lord as, as a severe loss of my own joy and contentment. Um, and I was just reading, and this is one of the scriptures that Ted was kind of reading around about pleasing um, ourselves, that good Christians shouldn't please themselves. And I thought that I, to give my life over the Lord was just death because I could no longer please myself. And, and um, but the thing with conviction, is when, the, when the conviction of the Lord comes, it's not, there is a death, but it's a death that's unto life, I'll say, in joy. That, that makes whatever it is that we leave behind. Um, I mean, it's, it's laughable when, when, when we're in that state that we even were holding so tightly to it. And, um, and I just was impressed to, to just share that, that, that to seek out those places where, where we're blocked up maybe where I'm blocked up in my connection to the, the Holy Spirit because when that conviction comes it's so, so relieving I feel so light and free and you know I, maybe, maybe it was David DeGloria was talk, or someone was talking about someone who got hooked on drugs and they were saying how they, they felt like this you know it was like what they were born for and the thing is I feel that way when I'm in the Holy Spirit, but but like with constructive uh, to constructive ends, instead of you know feeling that in a flash and then it taking over my life, um, and so that's that's all I wanted to say is just and and I had another thought too about um, <clears throat> Ted when he was saying that he's done things and I think we've all can say that we've done things that would the evidence of us not being Christian. But the thing is, certainly I would say about Ted, I think about many of us here, is that while we have done things, while there is evidence against us, there is also the fact that we haven't quit. And that we've held to the grace and the mercy of the Holy Spirit. And I would think that in any court, the Lord would reply with that in the face of people, you know, nitpicking and say, well, look at this, 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 and this. And he would, and he would say, well, I've seen Ted, and I've seen him grow. I've seen him admit his faults, and he's turned to me, and he's contending with me on a daily basis. And that covers, that covers all of the, the mistakes that we make. Anyways. Thank you, Ted. We, um, <clears throat> we associate um, conviction with guilt. Um, and that's the very last thing that the Holy Spirit tries to do, is he doesn't, he doesn't bring guilt to you or to your life. It's uh, just the opposite. Um, <clears throat> and, um, you know, like what Patrick was saying and, and uh, what Ted mentioned, you know, we also think of persuasion um, as uh, having seal for something, right? Those are close cousins, those words. That, um, and the only way that, that we can hold persuasion is when we have been um, convinced of something by the Holy Spirit. Uh, when the Holy Spirit convinces you, convicts you of something, that's the only time that we're able to hold persuasion, to hold back for whatever it is that we were convicted for, you know, convicted of. And um, that's, that's the only real persuasion that, that we can hold and that we can have is when we allow him to uh, 
bend our hearts, bend our minds to a way of thinking that, that is not ours. And without that, it's impossible. You know, you can have the best um, motivation to not be something or to do something, and it may hold for a while, uh, but it will eventually fade away unless you've been moved by the Holy Spirit. And when he brings that to us, uh, then we're able to hold persuasion and hold fast and seal so that you don't go back to those things, you know, to, that you normally would have. It doesn't matter if it was, you know, if it's lust or stealing or uh, any of those things. You can't hold that in, on your own flesh unless you've been touched. And we don't, you know, we, we can't uh, also, you know, you don't. It, it's God and the Holy Spirit, the ones that bring the conviction that we need, you know. You can only ask and ask. And sometimes uh, when you're stuck in a place, you have to go back and say, Lord, this is not right, but I can't help myself because you literally can't. Uh, unless uh, God finally, at times he lets us dwell in places for long enough until we're convinced that we want it. And then even still that doesn't take what is necessary, but then he's able to provide that help by his spirit to enable us to actually all of a sudden, you know, those things that you struggle with, those things that were a, a battle and a fight for you are not there anymore. And you don't know how that happened. And that's, you know, the conviction that Ted was talking about that uh, only he can bring. And, you know, those are the things that, you know, we can be fully persuaded of and not, um, not go back um, and are able to hold the ground that, that he's, given us so um, this is a good to to be reminded of these things once again um, because it's something that we need every day we need that fresh commitment that fresh um, reminding of him from him to to give us the strength to hold on to those things that sometimes we feel like we don't have the strength for one more step or one more day but it's his conviction that brings us the enables us and gives the capacity to do that. So thank you, Lord, for speaking to us tonight. Be in prayer for David. Convention starts tomorrow. Shalome. And I think he he's still the only ministry there. And I'm sure that he will be employing the help of Abel and <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there are a couple other people that could could help, but it's good for David. Such a safe place to say that from. Okay. <laughs>